You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. For the working people of America, we owe you affordable health care, a good education system, and a an interesting aspect to the 1992 campaign. And that, the Clinton campaign in 92, Clinton-Gore gets a lot of um, praise for how organized they were during the campaign and how they ran that. A very well-oiled machine. And Carville, Stephanopoulos, and all that. Used to be, it was a hierarchy. If you were on one floor, you didn't go to another floor. If you were somewhere on the organizational chart, there was no room for you there. Everybody was compartmentalized. And you people showed that you could be trusted. Everybody in this room. Everybody. And people are going to tell you you're lucky. You're not. Ben Hogan said golf is a game of luck. The more I practice, the lucky I get. <laughs> the harder you work, the luckier you are. I was 33 years old before I ever went to Washington, New York. It's 42 before I won my first campaign. And I'm happy for all of y'all. You've been part, part of something special in my life. Now, don't forget the job done. Thank you. But there was an element of it that wasn't planned, and it grew out of the campaign. And it was something that also became necessary for the very reason that his campaign was so organized, that his statements were always on message. You know, Paul Begala used to say, like, you never find a candidate. And any campaign consultant could never find a candidate that was on message as much as Clinton. You know, he was just perfect at it. Um, but there was a problem. And Clinton handlers were worried about it, that Clinton still didn't have the image. There was still some resistance to him from voters that was hurting his chances of beating President Bush in 92. So they created a covert operation within the campaign called the Manhattan Project. Um, Stuart Greenberg, I, I believe that's the guy. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, we'll find out. Um, they ask a series of focus groups what they don't like about the candidate. They go to Allentown, Pennsylvania, and they say he's two-faced. He just goes with the flow. If you asked him his favorite color, he'd say plaid. Even Clinton's strategist, Raging Cajun James Carville, says once, I've had blind dates with women I've known more about than I know about Clinton. As Greenberg put it, they set up a team with the top campaign people dealing with strategy and messaging and pulling out the day-to-day -day primary fights to go back to basis to focus how to address the trust issue. If they didn't change that, he wouldn't have a chance of winning. It's Mandy Grunwald who is part of this Manhattan Project. Every day and every way, we will all have to change. No one can repeal the laws of change, but we're going to make change, your friend, if you will work hard and play by the rules. I'm tired of seeing people punished for doing that, and they'll be rewarded in our administration. The team started to realize that 
what the campaign was putting out there in ads and what they thought voters thought of Clinton was not what voters thought of Clinton. Like the, Gruenwell would say, they, they heard about pot smoking and assumed he came from a privileged background. Like, what, are you crazy? Do you know the story of Bill Clinton? The father was a salesperson, dies, you know, on a rainy road, um, grown up with a single mom, um, brother has issues, never had a lot of money. Uh, so they changed the campaign to stress Clinton's humble origins and that he came from one of the poorest states in the country and as governor invested in an education. Not all bad. I mean, imagine this. After the government offices closed one night, Three highly paid political appointees to the State Department, departing from all past tradition, using their power for political ends, sneak in a dark building, go into a dark room where there are all these old files there, bump into each other and get dirt on their nice suits, and they look for four hours trying to find some dirt on my poor mama. But there's some good there. It's the only time since Bush has been president that those three hacks worked till 10 o'clock at night. They assembled a group of 10 white women in Allentown, Pennsylvania, who were independents or weak Democrats. And before the session began, five were for Perot, three were for Bush, and two were for Clinton. What did they think of Clinton? They didn't. Does he care about you? No, not about the things in my life. Could you trust him? He wouldn't steal, but he would shade the truth. His morals? Everyone said he didn't have a problem, but expected others might have a problem with him. Every woman said she didn't have a problem personally, but expected others might have a problem with somebody like Clinton. Not a good response. Um, so they, And they tried some of these campaign messages like Clinton like the new covenant. The response was blistering. Just words, glib, insulting, blaming victims. When they tried another campaign, fighting for the forgotten middle class, baloney, propaganda. Track three, putting people first, brought more negatives. By the end, Stu Greenberg sat fiddling a purple slinky, a toy someone had left on the table. It was frightening. They think he's so political, the message stuff gets completely discounted. In fact, he's spending so much time on messaging that they're not getting the message. They fixed it up a bit. Imagine how you will feel. On January the 20th, if instead of four more years of blame and denial, division and diversion, we are all locking hands, walking down Pennsylvania Avenue to take our country back. Obviously, and won that election. And that is a, off anyone's looking to history for how to run a campaign better, having some kind of internal ombudsman focus groups like that is a good check on what I think sometimes are giddy little messages that campaigns put out. <laughs> so, the Manhattan Project, 1992. These are all from stories that I plan to talk about on the Not Running for President podcast, and it just got too big, and I never got around to it. The Lincoln replacing Roger B. Taney in the Supreme Court came up as an issue in the 2020 campaign, not surprisingly, because there was a Supreme Court vacancy. And uh, much was made of the fact that Lincoln had waited till after the 1864 election to replace Taney. Now, um, it's worth a look at the history, and it is true. The facts of that are true. But you go too far, and I have to say, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, 
Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Kamala Harris, uh, a little bit too far in the VP debate by saying like, well, this is the lesson. Lincoln thought that the people should vote before. Well, it, 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 there's no evidence or letter that says that he thought that the people should vote before. But I do agree sometimes with history. You have to look at actions and make assumptions from actions. Like if a political actor did this, maybe they didn't always write a letter. You don't have them on video. You don't have them interviewed. The, there's a lot of press at this time, but not the kind of media and press that we have today. So not every action is documented like that. Um, so you do know that he waited till after the election. Maybe he wanted the people to get a say. But here's what John Hay, his secretary, says. Last night, Chief Justice Taney went home to his father's. And by the way, Taney and Lincoln didn't see eye to eye. I mean, Taney is the author of the Dred Scott decision that Lincoln hates. Already, Hay writes, before his old clay is cold, they're beginning to canvas vigorously for his successor. Chase men say the place is promised to their magnifico. You can see what Hay thinks of Chase. Uh, everybody comes to him. Edward Stanton, uh, who's the Secretary of War. It's going to be a nominated. Uh, he's not going to live to see the Supreme Court, but he's going to be nominated later by Grant. Uh, Attorney General Attorney General Edward Bates actually asks. He sends a letter, October thirteenth. Could I have the appointment as the crowning retiring honor of my life? So Lincoln's no dummy. He, he he's got at least two candidates, and Chase is also Treasury Secretary financing the war. The war's still raging. The election's still going on. They don't want to pick one of these rivals and uh, alienate the others. Plus, the Senate is closed, as people have pointed out online. So he can't do it until after the election. Congress and the Supreme Court were set to reconvene the week, the first week in December. The election is November 8th. He ends up appointing Chase. And he sends it as soon as he can on December 6th, 1864. Um, nobody really knew he was going to do it. And it's a very simple letter from Lincoln with no explanation. I nominate Salmon P. Chase of Ohio to be Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Vice Roger B. Tam.